I love watching that little video because the father is so patient with the imperfect practice of his children and imperfection is so uh, fundamental to human life. This is a place where nobody's perfect. It's a little ironic when people are interviewing for a job in the Bay Area and they're asked, what's your biggest flaw? They very rarely actually name a flaw. Rarely does somebody say, well, I'm incredibly lazy or uh, I'm fundamentally dishonest when they're interviewing for a job. The number one fault people admit to in a job interview is, I'm just a perfectionist. My standards are just too high. I just push myself to excel and contribute to humanity more than other people. That's my biggest problem. Um, uh, often, uh, people say it's a flaw, but they're secretly proud of their perfectionism. But the reality is, perfectionism actually is a flaw. And it's not pushing yourself to excel or a goal. Perfectionism is the desire to appear perfect. It's a hidden self that's often trapped in anxiety, trapped in fear of failure, comparing myself to other people, trying to hide my real flaws, trying to protect my image. That's really what perfectionism is about. To say I'm a perfectionist is to say I'm a fear-filled, self-obsessed, failure-avoiding, envious, insecure, pathological liar. That's what perfectionism really is about. Now, ironically, perfectionism would actually inhibit or destroy a child's growth. The only way to learn how to walk well is to start by walking badly, or to talk, or to ride, or to draw, or to play an instrument. You have to begin by doing it badly, by failing. And your father knows that. We're not done either. Uh, we're not perfect, but we're not stuck. We can grow. We can change. We can become. We can devote ourselves to this. And so Jesus gave to his followers practices through which God can give us the power to change and grow in ways that we couldn't grow ourselves. I read a while ago that in the West, often now people are drawn to Buddhism rather than Christianity because they understand Buddhism to be a religion of practice, but Christianity to be a religion of beliefs. And I don't know who defined Christianity that way, but it was not Jesus. We follow Jesus. We practice. We engage. And in fact, our belief, our confidence in his truth, very often grows out of our practice of his way. This is a place where nobody is perfect. So if you are imperfect, you have found the right place. Just to honor that, I'm going to give an imperfect sermon this weekend. Okay? Okay? Are you all okay? Maybe it's a bad idea. Uh, in record numbers, people are saying that while they are spiritual or believe in God or value faith, they don't trust organized religion. Uh, there are record levels of skepticism, not so much about religion, but about organized religion. And if that's you, you have come to the right church because you can't get more disorganized than we are around here. But God does actually have a plan for how his church is to be organized. It's not about bureaucracies or rules or power or human control. It is, in fact, I believe, the greatest organizational structure in human history. It was thought up by God himself. It has endured for 2,000 years. It is made for remarkable communities in every culture, on every continent, in every civilization. It's unbelievably flexible. It's all about humility and servanthood and joyful contribution. It is the key to your fulfillment and growth as an individual and to our being able to serve God and the people around us where we are. 
I love talking about this. Paul spent considerable time discussing this to the church at Corinth, starting here. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. To each one, the manifestation or gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. In other words, God gives to people who follow Jesus and receive His Spirit to guide our lives what are called in the Bible spiritual gifts, supernatural, God-powered, God-chosen abilities for you to serve other people in ways that will bring fulfillment to you who offer your gifts and goodness and growth to people who receive. So for everybody who follows Jesus and is part of our church to identify and serve with your spiritual gift is absolutely indispensable. It's one of the core practices that we engage in. And the analogy that Paul uses is the human body. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This analogy that a community, a group of people, is like a body was actually often used in the ancient world. But in ancient Rome, it was used to make sure that the lower classes would remain subordinate to Caesar or the aristocracy, which was the head. Now, Paul flips this to say every single part of the body is equally valued. There is no hierarchy of gifts in the body of Christ. Imagine if the kidney was to say, I'm all done. The eyes and the mouth and even the hair get all the attention. Nobody ever notices me. Nobody ever compliments me. I'm through serving the body. The body would say, no, 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 we need you. And Paul says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, hands, eyes, feet, internal organs, and so, but one body. So, in this message, I want to do a kind of a blitz of the spiritual gifts. I want to do a brief description of the gifts of the Spirit. There's no one exhaustive list of them. They're, they're talked about in at least four places in the New Testament. But I want to list some of the primary ones that are needed for us, the body of Christ, to function. And uh, they're written on this little document here, labeled Spiritual Gifts. I want to invite you to pull that out. And as we walk through this, I want to ask you to make it personal and do a little self-assessment. As we go through each gift, ask yourself, do I think I might have this gift? And God, how do you want me to use this gift? And then I'm going to invite everybody also to get out your cell phone during this message. You can do it now. When we get to the end of this message, every campus pastor is going to come up and ask everyone to text in your best sense of your spiritual gift. Uh, I think most people have more than one kind of a gift mix. Might be two spiritual gifts. Um, three will be your limit. Nobody is allowed more than three spiritual gifts. Um, only Jesus. So... Uh, so we're going to just blitz through the spiritual gifts. This is real important for your own spiritual life. When you practice your spiritual gift, I promise you, I've experienced this. When you discover and you're involved in the way, there'll be times when God is at work in you and you will feel his power in you and there will be words or action coming out of you that you know is God. You're not smart enough. You couldn't have done this. It builds up your faith and it blesses other people. So here we go. First spiritual gift. Uh, that I want to talk about is the spiritual gift of helps. This is the special ability to invest your time and energy 
into furthering the work of other people. You love to help. If you have this gift of helps, you enjoy doing work behind the scenes. You love being under the radar. I work real closely in our office with somebody who has the gift of helps, and I'm so grateful. I love watching that gift at work. I have lunch once a month with a lawyer who's the head of uh, a foundation connected with us, Church of the Pioneers Foundation, and his most consistent question is, how can I help? He loves asking that question. That's the spiritual gift of helps. just energizes him. The character Joshua played this role in Moses' life in the book of Exodus. How can I help? If right now you're helping the person sitting next to you find the spiritual gift list, you probably have the gift of helps. Next gift is the gift of hospitality. Now, in the ancient world, hospitality, you know, they didn't have, for the most part, hotels or all kinds of infrastructure that we do. It was essential to life. In our day, you might think that this is somebody whose house always looks perfect. They always serve gourmet meals. They always have fresh-cut flowers out. Their dog is perfectly trained. Actually, this is often the opposite. Somebody who makes, uh, puts making people feel at home above needing their home to look great. If you have the spiritual gift of hospitality, you love radical inclusion. You love just looking at who's somebody that feels left out and figuring out ways to delight them, to make them feel part of the gang. You are energized by having people over. You look forward to that. Some of you know in the Bible, there's a story where Mary and Martha uh, have Jesus and a bunch of people over, and Martha is the one who's in the kitchen. She's busy. She's getting everything ready. Martha probably had the spiritual gift of hospitality. In fact, that's the character in the Bible from whom Martha Stewart got her name. I just made that up. This is an imperfect sermon, so just bear with it. Uh, next gift is shepherding. Shepherding involves a special ability to notice and care for people's spiritual and overall well-being. It was like young Timothy in the early church. Uh, this is sometimes translated pastor, to shepherd is to pastor, but there's a real important difference between the job title of pastor and the spiritual gift of pastor. And this is very important to know about our church. We have way too many people that are part of our church for the pastors to pastor all the people. So the people have to pastor the people in our church. And the main place where that will happen in our church, where people get shepherded, pastored, is in life groups. It's little flocks of people coming together. And to have folks that will shepherd people in a little flock like that is critical to our well-being as a church. Next spiritual gift on the list is encouragement, the special ability to see potential and fan the flames of spiritual greatness in the souls of other people. This is a fabulous gift. In the New Testament, there was a follower of Jesus named Joseph, and he had this gift so strongly that his given name was Joseph, but he's given a new name, kind of a nickname in the church, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. It just flowed out of him. So uh, when Saul, who became known as Paul, became a part of the church, everybody else was terrified of him because he'd been persecuting the church. But Barnabas said, Paul, you come be with me. I'll believe in you. I'll breathe life into you. And then there was another young man named John Mark that had had some failures along the way. And everybody else gave up on him. In fact, interestingly, Paul, who Barnabas believed in, Paul gave up on John Mark. 
And Barnabas actually separated from Paul because he said, no, I want to encourage John Mark. It's very interesting. Barnabas did not write a single word of scripture, but Paul and John Mark wrote about half the New Testament books. We might not have those books if it weren't for Barnabas. They didn't get credit for writing them, but they may not be there if it wasn't for his gift of encouragement. If you have the gift of encouragement, it just flows out of you naturally. You can tell because right now you're wanting to say right out loud, keep going. You can make this sermon great. Apparently, we don't have anybody with that gift at this service. It's a little more subtle in Presbyterian circles, but it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. And then the spiritual gift of administration, that's the special ability to bring order to chaos. And if this is you, you love to plan. You plan recreationally. I don't understand this gift. I don't have it at all, but I rejoice that people have it. Creating schedules and systems and routines and systems is actually energizing for you. Your idea of going on a vacation is planning other people's vacations. The Greek word for this in the New Testament was the word for the helmsman who, who would make sure that the ship remained on course precisely throughout the voyage. Um, there's a character named Jethro in the Old Testament. He told his son-in-law, Moses, Moses, you're going to burn yourself out and gave him a system to reorganize all the people of Israel so that there could be an appropriate span of care so that Moses wouldn't get exhausted and so the people could all receive care. That's the spiritual gift of administration at work. And some of you are able to do this. If you are still looking for your spiritual gift list, you probably do not have the spiritual gift of administration. Next one, spiritual gift of leadership. This is the, the special ability to communicate vision and challenge and inspiration that will catalyze other people to achieve a mission. Um, there's a, a book in the... Old Testament called the book of Nehemiah, kind of a poster book for this. Nehemiah, kind of a poster child of it. He hears that Jerusalem, the, the city of God, has fallen apart. There's no morale. The walls have fallen down. And so he finds a way to get there. He finds a way to get the resources for it. He rallies, rallies everybody together, makes sure everybody has a task to do, and they actually rebuild the wall in a record amount of time. That's the spiritual gift of leadership. One of the ways that you will recognize this gift is that there will be people joyfully following, loving to do what it is that you're calling them to do and feeling like they're growing in the process, feeling like they're not being coerced or intimidated, but they're doing what they would love to do. That's the gift of redemptive leadership. And then the spiritual gift of evangelism. This is the special ability to care for and connect with people who don't know God and help them find and follow Jesus. Now, all of us who follow Jesus are called to help other people find them. Our whole reason for existing as a church is we want to help people find and follow Jesus. But some people have a unique spiritual gifting around this. In the New Testament, there's a disciple named Andrew. Pretty much every time you see Andrew, he's finding somebody who doesn't know Jesus and saying, come and see, come and see. You got to meet him. You got to meet him. And people who have the spiritual gift of evangelism find themselves with this kind of motivation. If you have this gift, often you, you would rather be with non-Christians than you would with Christians. Hanging out with Christians too long kind of drives you crazy. 
I was on a vacation once with a man named Ron who had this gift, and it, it just flowed out of him. We'd be at a restaurant, and if there was enough time, whoever the server was, Ron would end up talking to him or her, and eventually that conversation would turn to spiritual things in a way that was just real natural, didn't feel forced. Place where we were staying, there was a couple there, and Ron, over a series of days, ended up having conversations that changed their lives about spiritual matters. It's amazing to watch that gift at play. I wanted Ron to convert me, and I was already a pastor at that time. That's the <laughs> spiritual gift of evangelism. Then, spiritual gift of prophecy. Prophecy is the special God-given ability to courageously declare truth, God's truth, into circumstances of confusion or resistance. Now, people sometimes think of the word prophecy as predicting the future, but in the Bible, it's not mostly that. It's not mostly foretelling. It's forthtelling, telling forth the truth of God. You might think about Isaiah calling for justice in the Old Testament, or John the Baptist calling people to repent, or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. If this is you, you find yourself gripped, sometimes burdened, by a very keen sense of right or wrong. Injustice puts you on tilt. It's like you can't stand it. You are not a warm and fuzzy person. People don't describe you that way. Your favorite Sesame Street character was Oscar the Grouch. Declaring the truth matters more to you than being liked. Prophets are the conscience in the body of Christ. And I want to say a word to you because your gift is real important, but it often comes at a cost. Often other Christians avoid prophets or, or even shame them rather than to be willing to consider what it is they have to say. It is hard work being a prophet. It's not for nothing Jesus said uh, uh, that a prophet is not without honor in their own country. Then uh, another spiritual gift is the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, you clean up all the pain and mess that people with the gift of prophecy cause. In fact, when a person with the gift of mercy meets a person with the gift of prophecy, they often get married, and then it's a real interesting relationship. Mercy is the special ability to empathize with the pain in others so that you are moved to take action. Uh, a lot of us, if we see a commercial on television about children in poverty or hunger, or so might feel moved for a moment, but the spiritual gift of mercy you take it that next to say, I got to do something. And Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan, this guy beaten up on the side of the road. Other people, religious people, walk right past him, but the Good Samaritan can't. He feels compassion, and he stops, and he gives, and he heals, and he binds up, and he takes care. Uh, if you have this gift, when you sit next to somebody in a hospital bed, when you're present with a grieving family member, when you're talking to somebody and they've gone through a really bad loss, you will find God at work in you to say words or, or you'll know when to be silent or, or when to give a touch or a hug or to refrain from that in a way that something supernatural just gets poured out and you don't even fully understand it. Others of us might feel really awkward, but you have this gift where God lets you know how to pour out comfort and care. That's the gift of mercy. And again, part of why you got to find and use your spiritual gift is when you do, God is at work in you in ways you couldn't otherwise understand. And your own faith gets built up as you use your spiritual gift in a way it otherwise never would. Knowledge. 
Knowledge is the special ability to discover, explore, and clarify information, truth, that will build up the body of Christ, other people. If this is you, like the Apostle Paul, you love to learn. You crave to figure things out. You'll be motivated or even prompted by the Spirit to know where to look for information. God will give you the gift of being able to figure things out, to analyze, to put things back on a right track when everybody else around you is confused or disoriented or gotten off track. It's the gift of knowledge. And then um, the spiritual gift of faith. This is quite remarkable to watch. It's a special ability to have a vision of, to have confidence in God's plans and direction for the future. You might know the story of the three young men in a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they said to the king, our God is able to deliver us even in there. We're holding on to him no matter what. If you have this gift, you have a capacity to continue to trust God when ordinary people would just quit. When God gives you an idea or a dream about a future ministry, it's like you can already see it. When obstacles come, instead of defeating you like they would ordinary people, they actually energize you. If you have the gift of faith, when you see a mountain and you tell it to move in Jesus' name, you really do expect it to move. The average person says, I got to see it to believe it. But the person with this gift says, if I believe it, I know I'm going to see it. That's the gift of faith. We're all called to have faith. Some of you have a special gift for it. You feel it right now. Then there's the spiritual gift of teaching. This is the God-given ability to explain and apply, call people to sit under God's word in human life. In the book of Acts, there's a, a wife and husband team, Priscilla and Aquila, and apparently they both have this gift, and they explain the way of God in a way that changes the lives of others. People who have this gift love God's word. If you have this, you deeply believe that the scripture has the power to change lives. And you'll often find yourself thinking about, how would I teach out this message? How could I tell other people about it in a way that God might use that to change their life? Okay, then there's the spiritual gift of intercession, of praying for others. Now, of course, we're all called to pray. But this is a special ability. Like Elijah in the Bible had to engage in prayer for a prolonged period of time and to trust and to see God change things through prayer. How many have ever said to somebody else, I will pray for you and then forgotten to pray? Just mass confession for a moment. Okay, so numbers of you have done that. Most of the rest of you are lying. They didn't put up your hand. Uh, but some of you have a special spirit-powered, spirit-gifted aptitude for prayer. You believe in prayer. You just do. You love to pray. You long to pray. You persevere in prayer. When something doesn't get answered right away, you just keep motoring on. And when you pray, things have a way of happening. And you notice this, and you love it. I think of Fern Bockler, a woman at our church who died a couple years ago at the age of 105. And until she was 105 years old, every day she would say she was at her prayer post praying for our church, praying for our ministries, praying for you. Intercessors are very often the unseen, unsung heroes of our church. 
And then there's the spiritual gift of giving. That's the special ability to cheerfully, creatively give to God out of your material resources. Now again, all followers of Jesus are called to give. We're all called to be generous. We're all called to tithe. We're going to talk about how to practice generosity in a couple weeks in this series. I can't wait for that one. It'll change your life. Already got that talk done. But people with the spiritual gift of giving find that they do generosity recreationally. They find themselves dreaming up more ways to be able to give. Now, this might be somebody that has lots of resources. I've known some people who have a lot, and they actually practice what's sometimes called reverse tithing. They keep 10% of what comes to them, and they give away 90%. But sometimes people think the only folks that have the spiritual gift of giving are people with a lot of wealth, and that's not true. Many people, maybe you, have an ordinary income, but an extraordinary gift of giving. This is, in the Bible, the widow who gave her last coins to God. Jesus said she gave more than everybody. This is maybe that little boy who gave his whole lunch, a couple of fish and five loaves, over to Jesus, and Jesus used it in amazing ways. You just love to find ways to give. When Nancy and I lived in Chicago, a friend of ours named Dick had this gift. He loved to give so much. Among other practices, he set his thermostat down in the 50s so that he would save money so that he could give more. And this was in Chicago, where last month it got down to 30 degrees below zero. He would set his thermostat down. My wife, whose life motto is, I would rather be dead than cold, said that Dick doesn't have the gift of giving, he just lacks the gift of knowledge. <laughs> then there's the spiritual gift of wisdom. This is the ability God gives to some people in the body of Christ to have insight into problems and to recognize what matters most? What's the priority here to bring clarity to a situation? Solomon was famous for asking, God, would you give me the gift of wisdom so that I could reign uh, with it? If you have this gift, people tend to come to you with their problems and ask you for help and direction in key moments of their life, and, and you're able to give it, and often it seems really simple to you, and you don't understand why other people are amazed by this. Most of the rest of us uh, make stupid decisions on a regular basis. People with a spiritual gift of wisdom have a God-given ability to help people around them make better decisions. And that's often how you know that you've got this gift. If you think you might have the spiritual gift of wisdom, but people around you say you don't have it, you don't have it. Okay? And then there's the spiritual gift of serving. Now, of course, we're all called to serve. It's what makes a church great. That's why God thought up this brilliant ideas of arranging the church around spiritual gifts. But people with the spiritual gift of serving have a special ability to identify. What are the unmet needs here? Where's there a lack? Where's there a hole? And then to figure out how to marshal people or resources to get involved in this task or this situation? How can we make sure these needs get met? In the book of Acts, there was a woman like this named Gort Dorcas with the gift of serving. Real little beautiful character sketch of this woman. It says, she was always doing good and helping the poor. 
What a great, what a great line to have on your tombstone when you die. Always doing good and helping the poor. Now that seems rather entry level. Not real flashy living in the part of the world where we do in our day. But it's a very interesting story. Peter arrived in her town for a preaching engagement, and just before he got there, this woman Dorcas grew sick and died. And the people wept for her. Widows who lived there showed Peter the robes and other clothes that Dorcas had used her sewing ability to make for them so that they could be clothed. And Peter was so moved by this and by their grief that he prayed, and Dorcas was raised from the dead. Now, Peter had gifts too, leading and preaching and resurrecting. And so you would think, maybe, that surely Peter's gifts were way more important than Dorcas's little serving gift. But when Peter died, nobody raised Peter from the dead. In other words, apparently decided the church could get along without Peter better than it could get along without Dorcas and her gift to serve. God loves that gift. So those are some of the key spiritual gifts that God gives to the body of Christ, that he's given to all of us here who follow Jesus. And we're going to show those gifts uh, at every campus and do a little survey and uh, actually put that up on the screen when the campus pastor comes back up at all campuses. One of the reasons we're able to do that is we have people with technological and other expertise who volunteer to serve. Often, the only time tech people get noticed, get thanks, is if something goes wrong. Other gifts to, to be able to teach or pray publicly or sing or lead in worship or, or, uh, often get recognized, but serving often doesn't. So can we at every campus thank those who serve us right now in this way? There's people downstairs <laughs> listening to this. If as you look through this list, you find yourself thinking, I don't think I have any gifts. That is not true. And you need to go sit next to someone with the gift of encouragement. So they'll tell you, no, you've got gifts. If you find yourself thinking, hey, I think I've got all the gifts, go sit next to someone with the gift of wisdom and let them deflate you a little bit, because you know, you got a couple of gifts. Who's called to serve the body? Everybody. This is why this message is so foundational for us as a church. In biology, what do you call something that is living off the body but not contributing to the body? Parasite is the word. And nobody's called to be a parasite. Yeah, that word is not in the New Testament. Paul does not lift, you know, parasitism as a spiritual gift. Uh, I would say this as lovingly as I know how. You might be visiting. You might be exploring Christianity. Uh, you might be wounded, grieving, and, and you need some time just to heal up, although serving often is a part of healing, but I get that. If you need space, you're exploring or so, I get that. But everybody else, if you are not finding a way to serve in the body of Christ, but you're a follower of Jesus, you're missing it. You are missing a deep part of God's calling on your life. The body is missing out on one of its members. You are not obeying Jesus and his call to serve, and it's time to get in the game. We need you, and you need to do this. And with a couple of questions. How do I know for sure what my gifts are? Well, the best way is get involved in actual serving, actual ministry. It's good to go through a talk like this, but the best method is trial and error. If you start serving somewhere 
and your gift mix is not a good match, you'll fail a lot, like those kids in that little initial video. And somebody will tell you, you're not good at this. If you have a prophetic gift and you go to work in the nursery, babies don't receive prophetic challenge real well, you'll fail with them and you can move on to something else. That's great. Another question, what if I didn't get the gift that I want to get? This is interesting. Gift envy was a big problem in the church at Corinth, gift envy. And that's part of why Paul wrote that God has distributed the gifts of the Spirit to each one just as he, God, determined. So now the question is, which gift would you rather have? The gift you want for you or the gift God wants for you? And the correct answer would be the gift God wants for me because God made me. Learning to embrace, be grateful for, exercise the gift that God has given me, and then let go of my ego-driven need for a gift that I didn't receive is a major part of the spiritual growth process. And, and my own conviction from my own experience and watching folks is very often coming to grips with, what's that giftedness that I really have a deep neediness to have, but it's not part of my wiring? Uh, there's great freedom on the other side of that. Another question, isn't this serving thing optional? I want to read one statement from Paul's writings to the church of Corinth and have you kind of fill in the blank mentally. Paul says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with, and we might think he would say, so it is with the church, but he doesn't. He says, just as all those many parts uh, form one body, so it is with Christ, with Christ. In other words, somehow the church, you and me, somehow are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. In other words, the church gang is not a human organization. It has not been given a human mission. It is God's idea, it is God's project, it is God's presence, and it matters. And that a church operate according to spiritual gifts, that it be shepherded by people with the gift of shepherding and served by people with the gift of serving and encouraged by people with the gift of encouragement, led by people with the gift of leadership and, and so on. It, it's the greatest plan for any human community that's ever existed, powered by God. And I want to say a word to everybody who serves. If you lead a life group or shepherd a little group of children or love some students or help lead in worship or welcome strangers to a service or in a hundred different ways, you are the church. You are love in human form. I am so grateful for you. I know there's a thousand reasons not to do this where we live. You'll hear, you're too busy. You got bills. You got a job. You got pressure. You might find yourselves wondering, am I crazy to do this on top of everything else? And I just want to say to you, you are not crazy. When you serve the body of Christ, you are part of a movement across time and space on every continent and every culture for the last 2,000 years. Not a moment of time, not an act of service will be lost. You will be used by God. You will delight the heart of God. You will be swept up in the power and the work of Jesus. You will make a difference in time that will last through eternity. You are part of how the kingdom of God gets built. You are not crazy. You are part of the, the body of Christ, and I'm so grateful. So let's pray.
Now, God, thank you for this amazing idea of spiritual gifts. I thank you for them here at our church. I, I pray, God, that every woman, every man, every young person, every old person who here sits under this teaching, God, would be touched and moved and changed by it. I pray that there would not be a single follower of Jesus who doesn't find their place in this body so that, God, we could be used to grow one another up in love and joy and to help everybody in the Bay Area find and follow Jesus. God, make us great in your eyes by making us servants in Jesus' name. Amen.